This call is being recorded. Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the Bard MBA program. We are thrilled to have Bill Compton, Senior Vice President of EMS Operations at Grady Emergency Medical Services, on our show today. Before turning over the mic to Bard MBA student Martin Freeman, I want to provide some background about the Bard MBA in Sustainability. We are one of a few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program with first year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab, where they work on real world sustainability challenges for clients. This year, our clients are Siemens Wind Power, JetBlue, and the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets. Thank you all for joining us today. Please do mute your phones and headsets at this time to reduce the chance of feedback during this call. I will now turn over the floor to Martin, who will introduce Bill. Welcome to both of you. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. All right. So my name is Martin Freeman, and I am a paramedic at Great EMS. I want to introduce our Senior Vice President of Operations at Grady EMS, and this is Bill Compton. He he has been at EMS, Grady EMS, excuse me, for about seven years, I believe, seven or eight years. He has a strong record and a strong track record of running successful EMS companies. Um, he is a avid fan of University of Florida, and he's been known to put together some very high performance uh, performance teams when it comes to running businesses. He also was a former paramedic. And um, I'd like to welcome Bill to Sustainable Business Fridays. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. So, um, Bill, this is this is kind of a question that I think a lot of people would like to know just in our organization. But what what exactly attracted you to Grady EMS in 2008? I was um, on the faculty at the University of Florida in the um, – College of Public Health teaching and had met in some of our travels colleagues that knew of Grady's new transformation in 2007-2008, which led me to an introduction of senior leaders at Grady and eventually the president of Grady at the time to discuss my um, potential joining the team, which I did in December of 2008, which this month would be seven years. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so what exactly, when you came in 2008, um, what did you see the vision for Grady EMS as? Grady, as, as um, a lot of us know, was, was highly publicized in the media in the 2007-2008 timing uh, with a lot of things that were going on in the nation, particularly in the southeast with the economic downturn. Grady was um, experiencing severe financial issues with the hospital as a general and EMS obviously being a hospital-based system was part of that. Uh, Grady had just recently formed a uh, not-for-profit management board that was going to oversee the go-forward operations of the hospital, uh, received a $200 million endowment grant from the Woodruff Foundation, so the the foundation was put in place 
to repair Grady, so to speak, economically and, and get back to where Grady needed to be to be solvent. And I, I saw that as a challenge, um, an extreme challenge, actually, to be a part of that program to not only uh, help EMS to get back um, to a productive um, division and to uh, obviously um, contribute to Grady while doing that. Gotcha. Okay. And so I just want to point out for our audience a couple of different statistics about Grady EMS and, and Grady Hospital in general. Um, Grady Hospital is the largest safety net hospital in the state of Georgia. It is also the currently fifth largest public hospital in the United States. And when it comes down to EMS, Grady EMS provides advanced life support uh, to any citizen or visitor in the city of Atlanta and Fulton County. They staff more than 350 personnel, and we maintain a fleet of more than 46 advanced life support ambulances. With that being said, uh, Bill, how has EMS evolved since you've been in the industry? Well, the biggest changes, and I, I'd say I've been doing this um, collectively in addition to my uh, academic assignments for about 33 years, and technologically advancements are probably the biggest things. I mean, medicine obviously has advanced a lot in the last 30 years, but when we come down to advanced life support and the things we do in transport, they're, they're still pretty basic. I think that Equipment-wise, we're a lot less um, redundant than we used to be. Communication-wise, we're a lot more advanced uh, technologically, you know, with our computer enhancements and obviously the things we can do now electronically and how many use paper products where we do the electronic pads that we use and all of those things that have, that have streamlined everything from the care that the patient receives to how financials are generated and monitored and of course, the monitoring and metrics that we do on a daily basis. I see, I see. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, we're, we're going to get into the financial aspect and the financial challenges a little bit later on in this interview. But for right now, there seems to be a hot topic around EMS, and that is the concept of community paramedics. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and your experience with it. Well, the nomenclature that's been used most recently in the last year and, and even nationally with community paramedicine has not been adopted officially into the academic centers, for instance, in Georgia and in many states, and I don't know about all states, there is no curriculum for advanced paramedics. A lot of these programs have been done in-house. What we did at Grady as part of our transformation, and this is not a new system, it's four years old that we put in place, is how we could better deliver Healthcare to a metropolitan area that was uh, efficient, uh, feasible, not only affordable, but the best product that we could do to the citizens of Atlanta without doing it the same way it had been done for 30, 40 years. Now, obviously, Grady's been in the business for over 130 years. When I came here, a lot of the clinical practices and the mechanical practices that were in place were, were 30 years old. So we determined early on that we were going to have to do something different to help Grady's division survive in addition to have sustainability for the future, not only economically, but as far as meeting metrics that the citizens and the visiting population of Grady would require to be in really 
standard compliance with similar programs throughout the nation. So what we did is we developed a program called Alternative Pathways. We were the first program in the state of Georgia to do this where we actually went to the governor's office and the office of the state physician medical director validated that the laws of Georgia did not require you called 911 that you had to be transported to an emergency facility as an emergency department or sometimes as referred to as emergency rooms. The um, general population probably had little awareness of that and, and many of the organizations in Georgia interpretation were if you call 911 you had to take somebody to an emergency department. So we built that program to be kind of a, a four-legged program to stand up that started with Grady's ability to have a 911 center that was, was trained and recognized on national basis through an Academy of Excellence, which is a national, actually worldwide organization. And of today, there's only three, to my knowledge, accredited agencies in the state of Georgia, and we're one of them. And what the accreditation allows us to do is through a program called Emergency Medical Dispatch, which you're aware of, Marvin, E&D, allows us to, under strict medical control, train our operators through protocol-based questioning with the patient on the phone where we can actually do triage over the telephone and get the most appropriate level of care to the patient. With that, we expanded that to where if somebody calls, they might not get an advanced life support ambulance, they may get a basic life support ambulance. That was expanded the next year into having our advice nurse program located in our 911 center. So our low acuity calls that would come through our 911 center would be given to a nurse. For example, if somebody called and said, I have a sore throat or I have a twisted ankle that I injured a couple of weeks ago, and all the other associated factors do not indicate a life-threatening or even a serious or an acute emergency, nurses would handle that and during the mitigation process could even help the patient what they would do for a sore throat, get them referred to one of Grady's clinics, or in the worst case, transport that person to a clinic in one of our non-emergency units. We tell uh, constituents and in speaking engagements and all of our future business acquisitions that there's really only two types of calls that come into 911 centers. And I get a look and I say, well, wait, there's 100 types of emergencies. I said, I get that, but there's two types of calls, true emergencies and people who don't have access to care. The true emergencies we handle very efficiently on a 24-hour basis. The access to care is the issue is why people call 911 for very minor things that can be handled in a clinic or an emergency department. So what we've done in the latter three and four phases of this program is a year ago we implemented a psychiatric unit that has a psychiatric social worker that's funded through grant money through the state of Georgia and a paramedic that goes to lower level psychiatric calls where there's no risk of harm to the crew or to the patient, and this person is not at high risk, but still needs some type of emergency medical treatment. So that psychiatric unit helps mitigate those patients that are not a threat to themselves or the society in the field to get treated and released, and in many times just re-engaged with their psychiatric worker 
and maybe just get a prescription filled in the field that keeps them out of the emergency department, that keeps the emergency department and the outpatient and inpatient units from being overcrowded. With that, in the city, and in probably all cities in the United States that are of a large metropolitan nature, the psychiatric population is a challenge. Fourth leg of the program was to introduce what is referred to as our advanced practice model, which is, I wouldn't say really synonymous, but it's the same type nomenclature that other agencies refer to as the paramedicine units, and these are our advanced practice providers. Because historically, we know through evidence-based data that in the United States, and, and particularly here in, in North Georgia and Atlanta, that all emergency systems are strained by serving an increasingly large volume of patients with the same or shrinking resources. We don't get more money next year from a government entity, the government entity, or we don't get more money from our patients or ability to raise our fees because our volume increases. And it, it is good to note that in 2008, when I came here, Grady EMS as a division of you know, Grady Health System was receiving $7 million in enhanced governmental funding, and that money went away during the economic downturn prior to our getting here. So in addition wow. to being wow. we were probably $10 million upside down or more in this division alone. So with these resources, you have frequent users that call ambulances, frequent users that show up in the emergency departments in the rural community. It could be 100. In our community, it's thousands. With the same resources and put stress on emergency department outpatient resources. And basically, these requests through evidence-based data we know are related to noncompliant chronic disorders, substance abuse, mental illness, homelessness, and really a combination of all of the above. So with that, with our advanced practice provider units that we have in place today, they are staffed with a paramedic and an advanced practice provider. could be a nurse practitioner or paramedic, excuse me, um, physician assistant. In some days, they actually have physicians that are on these units. And what these units do is they go to 911 calls within the city of Atlanta that are of a low acuity nature that are not mitigated through nurse advice, do not require ambulance transportation, and basically we call it our treat and release program. These people can be evaluated, treated, released in the field, um, given follow-up instructions. And in addition to these, we also visit on a regular basis our frequent user population who are out there, and that is designed to represent those patients that would call an ambulance anywhere from four times a month to more, and some of these people call as many as 10 to 20 times a month. So those units go out, help these people, see if they're compliant since their last visit, find out what their clinical issues are, and help them with issues in the field to reduce emergency department overcrowding. In addition to that, this program assists the hospital and all hospitals with readmission penalties that those respective hospitals would receive from the federal government. So basically, that's that's the explanation to your question about community paramedics. We call them advanced practice providers, and it is not a new concept. There are other agencies in the nation 
that do this, but it's a new concept uh, for Grady, and particularly a new concept for the state of Georgia. Gotcha, gotcha. And and that's that's one of the reasons why I, I really wanted you to, to be a part of this interview is because you're able to uh, see the vision for um, EMS and, and particularly how health services are being affected here in Georgia. And, and typically in Georgia down the south, we're a little bit slow to to get with some of the, you know, the updated protocols or the updated um, metrics and, and advanced um, evidence-based social uh, medicine practices. So I appreciate you for doing that. Now, I want to shift this interview a little bit into the backside of EMS. And and we're talking about the financial challenges of, of running a urban EMS system. And I think a lot of people just in general and the general public don't really understand how hard it is um, for EMS to be sustainable and to actually continue to thrive for years. And so just if you if you don't mind, if you could share just a few of the some of the financial challenges and hardships of, of running an EMS system and, and how that talks and how that relates to the uh, revenue cycle of, of cash collection. You're referring to urban medicine, right? That's, that's a farm. So in Atlanta, in a, in a large metropolitan area, we run what's called a, a dynamic system because what we do today, we're going to have to complete today because tomorrow is a different day. And what that means is on, a, on an average day, we could run anywhere between on the 911 side to, to the high 300s to the low 400 calls a day. And when you, when you think about that, people that come from systems that may run you know, that kind of volume in a year or maybe that, that kind of volume in a month, it's, it's, re it's really kind of challenging in that in dynamic situations, the, the call for action is immediate and it has to be sustainable. So we only operate in the city of Atlanta under 132 square miles, but of a, of a strongly dense population. So in this metropolitan area, and many of that, there are challenges, medicine challenges with response times because of traffic patterns, and obviously challenges with patients because of the different degree of volatility of emergencies we have, all the way from you know trauma of a high intensity to high levels of medical emergencies and environmental emergencies. So the challenges obviously are medically driven that we can manage metrics to receive um, response times and deliver high quality care in a reasonable amount of time. So the one thing we do is we partnership with the city of Atlanta who has a large fire-based uh, first response organization. They do not transport patients, but they are in first response paramedics that are trained, and we have worked with the fire service since my tenure here to collaborate to have the same equipment as much as like possible on the truck. So when our unit gets there first or they get there first, everybody's used to the similar equipment, and it enhances patient care. So on an average response time basis based on which vehicle gets there the quickest, it's just pretty close to about 55 to 45, sometimes highest 50-50 fire gets there, EMS. But with the dual response that we've lowered that average response time in the city under seven minutes, the, the last numbers that I review are actually about the 6.6, 6.7. So that is extremely um, presentable as far as a, an argument on a national basis as far as uh, urban medicine goes and the ability to 
to work with a fire service that does not transport. In addition to that, financially, obviously, in urban environments, the system has financial challenges because of different demographics and different payer groups. Of your four payer groups, you have a high degree of self-pay or private pay, in some um, speaking, that have no ability to pay. Now, as Grady, obviously our expert as a safety net hospital, is we're here to serve those people who are underserved and underinsured. But at the end of the day, those are monies that are that are not going to be collected, that are gross revenues that may be charged, but as far as net revenues and cash collected, those are monies that we have to assume within the system. So the types of patients that uh, you know are collectible, we have to do a very good job in, in documentation and our treatment and our billing department does an excellent job in billing to make sure that we can maximize our ability because as we were losing, you know, ten to twelve million dollars a year and we've been sustainable for the last four, if there uh is no margin to pay for equipment and personnel, there's no mission. I see, I see. And um recently we've done a little bit of uh work outside the Atlanta area. I know you said we're we're uh, pretty highly dense in 132 square miles, um, and we service well over 100,000 uh, 911 calls annually. But um, there's been some talks and some uh, deals going on outside of the city of Atlanta. Would you like to explore more into that? Sure. Within the city right now, we're we're well over, actually, Marlon, 125,000 annually, and when we add in our South Georgia activity and our non-emergency divisions that we do, that we're well over 150,000 calls annually that we manage. What, what's happening in Georgia with 159 counties is there's a, there's a movement going on between a lot of counties in Georgia, and of course there are a lot of rural counties in Georgia, particularly in South Georgia, that are struggling in delivering emergency medical services. Uh, different reasons, and I'm asked uh, all along. And one of, one of the biggest reasons is is that they have done it the same way for 30 years, have not been in tune to the changes that have come before us. Uh, were um, impacted obviously during the economic downturn, and have not made those proactive moves to enhance or alter their system. So what we do at Grady is, is we're a dynamic system. We're constantly changing. And I tell everybody here, other than the uniforms that you wear or the colors of your trucks or maybe the office that you work out of, those things probably won't change in the future. But everything else we do is subject to change if we think, based on evidence-based data, that we can make it better. So what's happened in South Georgia, you have a lot of counties that, that used to be self-sustaining, that are not experts in billing, that have not enhanced themselves with training, that have had capital struggles with capitalization of equipment and have gotten behind the, the eight ball, so to speak, and have entered into times where they cannot get out of their economic struggles. Therefore, they have looked to do alternative methods, for instance, privatization, which we like to refer to as partnerships. So we were actually um, asked or recruited by our first county that we expanded into in September of 2014, which is in the southwest corner of Georgia, Decatur County, county seat of Bainbridge, to help them with their 
struggles. And we uh, put in a, a bid for that, and we were awarded that county. And our goal for that region is obviously to expand that service into other counties that would be in need of enhancing their system to form a rural regional system. Since then, we've, we've in the last year, a year and a few months, just if you take a measurement of Labor Day of this year, we closed our fourth uh, rural operation in Hancock County. So we've basically added four rural counties in central and south Georgia in the last 12 months. And we're talking to several others that are interested in, in joining the system. What that does for them, it allows them to experience our economies to scale with purchasing and all the other aspects we do. And at the same time, we will be expanding our advanced practice units into South Georgia, streamlining 911 and non-emergency communications, and basically running regional systems in rural areas as opposed to having individual standalone counties that incur all these individual administrative costs. I see, I see. Um, now, speaking on that, these rural counties, um, sometimes they tend to have older equipment, older ambulances, like you said before, they're not really experienced in purchasing and capital. Um, but I find one part of of this interesting is that you do remounts for old ambulances. So uh, say, for instance, um, Decatur County, one of these rural counties has an old ambulance. Um, you would take it and redo the chassis, is that correct, and then give it back to them so they could, could use it for another, say, five to ten years in service? Yes, and how we got into that is it's not a new concept. And two business lives ago, when I was in the EMS business in Florida, we had a remount facility in the 90s that we did for all of our operations uh, in Florida and in other states, where we would take the box off a what you call a Type 1 ambulance that has a, a truck chassis front and refurb it as needed and then put a brand new chassis underneath it, paint it, put it back together, and it looks as if it was new. And we were, at that time, and are now able to do three to four of those remounts at the cost of two new ambulances. So it's an economy of scale driven to save capital dollars, a quicker process, and in addition to that, in having a complete separate division here in a separate standalone company that is in the refurbishing business. We also have an enhanced body business. Those trucks are wrecked in the uh, normal course of business and they are on a regular basis. We're able to fix those with uh, certified mechanics, certified body people with the highest degree of certifications and get them back in service in a record time. And as you mentioned, in, in many of these counties that we've acquired due to uh, economic restrictions, they have not been able to upgrade purchases as they needed, so we're able to remount these trucks for them, uh, capitalize um, those dollars, and then put them back in the system in a record time so we don't have to run through the um, whole procurement process of having new trucks built. Okay. Now, um, we're about 
12:28, so we're about uh, maybe a little less than a little more than 30 minutes to finishing, and I want to open it up to the audience in about 10 minutes. But before I do that, um, my last question here is: We have the Grady EMS Academy, and and in the world of sustainability, you typically focus on three things, and that's the environmental, uh, the social, and obviously the the profit. But uh, looking at the social aspect of it and the people um, that you've put in place to to run this academy, what what is it that you hope to accomplish by putting people to work and putting people in school and um, basically making sure that you have a a labor force that's ready to work at all times at any time? For us, the our business concept is. is this business and really any business, in our opinion, is based on three criteria to be in check in, in, in uh, high levels. That's people, processes, and technology. With the people aspect is that the training centers in Georgia were probably several years, if not 10 to 15 years, behind a lot of other states contiguous to Georgia as far as accreditation. Georgia was a non-accredited EMT and paramedic program state. And what we mean by that is there was not a, really a governing body that certified or regulated the training centers to make sure that the training centers were delivering student products of, of the highest value. So the state of Georgia, and I believe it was around 2013, maybe 2012, um, mandated that all training programs in EMS be accredited within the year of 2015. That accrediting body that's out of Texas is called uh, COAMP, C-O-A-E-M-S-P. We had gotten in front of that curve because we determined and knew at Grady that our future was people to work in our system and be familiar with our product that we were producing and delivering that we wanted to train our own. We formed a paramedic program actually in 2013 in the EMT that we did in-house. We've since expanded to a uh, full-time 30,000-square-foot training facility that exclusively delivers that product, and we're accredited nationally this year, which we uh, accredit that success to our leadership and education members that we have here. and. Upon accreditation, I believe that we were the 13th agency accredited in the state of Georgia. So now as accrediting uh, institution, we can run all our EMT paramedic programs for Grady, and we actually have about 50% of the programs that are filled by student populations that are in the general population, so to speak, in Atlanta in the state of Georgia that come to our program that do not work for Grady. So we're excited about that, and as, as former and current educators ourselves, we knew it was a, a discipline that we had to get in, and we had to master here at Grady for the future of recruitment, uh, sustainability of employees, and to reduce attrition. Gotcha, gotcha. I know because at, at one point when I when I first got to Grady, I remember one of the big points was how high the turnover rate was, and how we could not uh, keep employees because of the the long hours, and you know, they said that the training center wasn't as where where it needed to be. Um, and in fact, we didn't really have a training center. We had an education and training department, um, but that that really goes back to 
um, you putting back quality into the into the company um, by building this EMS Academy that's, like you say, nationally accredited. Um, I want to go ahead and open up the uh, questions for the audience. I have a few more, but is there anybody online that has any questions for Senior Vice President Bill Compton of Great EMS? Thanks, Martin. I'm just going to mute, unmute everyone right now on the call. So do feel free to chime in at this time and ask a question of Bill Compton. It's You just have to speak up. There's no raising hands or anything here. Hey, Stephanie, how many people do you have on the line? We have um, three or four on the line. So um, okay. if someone wants to ask a question, it would be great. Um, and no worries if you're shy. We can also continue questions and have, you know, they can chime in later. But okay. All right. If there's so anyone I, who wants to ask a question. Okay. Well, if anyone wants to ask yeah. a question now, now's the time. And then if not, we'll continue the interview and open it up again. Okay. All right. So, uh, Mr. Compton, I'm going to go ahead and continue with a few more questions. I, I didn't hear any from the audience right just just yet. Um, this kind of speaks more toward um, the sustainability issues that Grady EMS is facing currently. I mean, after all that, that you've done for uh, the company and the, for the division, um, what what is the biggest challenge in sustainability going forward? Um, and do you think that it's something that most other hospital-based EMS systems face or hospitals in general face? I think that in any business, but particularly today in healthcare, that we are not able to forecast what's going to happen three to four years from now. I think historically, when um, changes in healthcare when they're going weren't as dynamic as they are today that we could look out and be forecast for three or four years. I think right now we're forecasting for the next quarter, the next quarter after that, and there really is no crystal ball that we know of, and if there is one, we need to subscribe to it of what the system's going to look like two, three, four years from now. We're basically focusing on 2016. However, we're positioned with the senior division directors we have here that are highly acclaimed in their particular discipline that do an excellent job in we're ready that when we have to make a change, we're positioned to that. Uh, here again, we've got dynamic leaders, which are problem solvers, which have solutions to problems and, and our ability to change. So whatever comes our way, we don't know that we can master it that day, but we are we are positioned to be proactive and not reactive. Hey, Martin, do you mind Thanks. if I chime in for a second? Um, yeah, sure. No, go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Compton, that's really great. I mean that that you're kind of ready to kind of be nimble and turn on a dime when needed. And I guess I'm also curious around. I mean, you can't predict the future. I think you know right now we do we're on our minds a lot in our MBA program and in the world is climate change and all these bigger environmental and social problems that the world is facing. What do you think then related to the hospital system? Obviously more and more people need care. Um, you know, is that your biggest issue you would say just the sheer numbers of people or is it, are there other sustainability kind of more environmental or social that um, we don't know about that you all face every day? Well, I think any time in the, in the, in the metropolitan area, you're, you're challenged with volume issues because you, you your volume increases. And for instance, we track 
frequent users that we use in the system that we, we experience in the system that and sometimes those calls add up to well over a thousand a month. The problem with that is there's no quick fix of that where you can fix it and be done with it because it's dynamic. Because a lot of these people are from here, they're 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 transient, they're moving. So what we fix today, there's a new challenge tomorrow. I think particularly on the EMS side that we believe and through uh, you know our publishings, that we are we are a true believer that the future of EMS is going to be into the hands ability to have mobile integrated health systems in addition that supplement the 911 systems to be able to treat patients in the field for non-emergency, non-threatening life energies and release them. Just as if I tell the story that. When you know, when I was small in the rural environment in Florida, I could remember my physician would come to your house and treat you after making hospital rounds at night. You, you didn't go into a clinic or an emergency department with your parents all day for a sore throat. You stayed home, and um, somebody took care of you until the doctor could come by and look at you. And I, we we truly believe that's where pre-hospital medicine going because the economies of scales and not having to run ambulances, lights and siren through a community to go to somebody's house for a sore throat. We just think it's the, the better business model, and we think it has uh, economic uh, sustainability. That makes, yeah, that absolutely makes sense um, to have a mobile thing. Would that mean that there might be like a nurse or someone someone could chat through, chat with directly on their phone, or is it going to be more about like a FAQ site or something where they can report their symptoms and someone can chat back at them or they can just read up on certain health issues to know if it's really a true emergency? Well, well, let me, oh. Where, where oh. you're at, particularly in, in the metropolitan area in New York and Washington, I mean, that technology already exists where you can access that through an application and actually talk to a practitioner on the other line who can look at you and you can describe what's wrong with you. So it's, it's already there. Good to know. I've never used it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, Stephanie, is that um, up in New York and, and particularly D.C. area, there there's some apps. Uh, that are coming out that I've been seeing out and been looking at that you can pretty much already do that. But like as we mentioned before earlier in the interview, Georgia is still kind of behind on on trying to get to that advanced level of, of integrated care. Um, and, and as Bill mentioned before, what we do have is the, the advanced um, nurse 911 line where, you know, when you do call 911 and it comes through that, that um, dispatch center, they're able to, uh, effectively triage you over the phone, and excuse me, if it's a very low acuity call, there's an actual registered nurse in the dispatch center that can tell you how to handle that call instead of tying up the 911 system. Um, and like he says, I think it's going towards more of a mobile uh, integrated health system where we actually do come to your house and try to take out the the calls of the system. Uh, excuse me, take out the uh, the volume and the overcrowding in the ED and and of the 911 system. Excellent. Thank you for the information. Yeah. So, so uh, Mr. Compton, we're about 20 minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, one last question, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. Um, so what kind of roles can a sustainable MBA graduate play in today's hospital systems? Well, I, I mean, we employ 
uh, many NBA graduates here in this division and throughout the organization. I think that depending on the discipline of area of interest, there's a tremendous opportunity for, for that discipline to integrate into the hospital system. It just depends on is it operationally based, is it, is it IS based, and whatever the interests are. But I think in, in this day and time, we're not always looking for medical professions to solve all of our issues, even though we're in a medical arena. For example, we've got accountants here and people from human resources and different walks of life that that work as MBAs, but they had no previous healthcare experience. So I think the opportunities are bound. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, um, Stephanie, that pretty much wraps it, wraps it up on my end. Do you have anything else further? Great. So, I mean, we have some some folks on the line, and it would be great if people want to chime in and ask a question at this time before we wrap up the call. If anyone has a question for Mr. Compton about um, the healthcare system and sustainability and what kind of the future is, this is the time to ask. What seems... It seems we have a Shire group on the line today. Um, so I don't know, Martin, if you, there's a couple, anything else you wanted to bring forward in this interview? Um, you know, I, for me, this has just been highly informative about um, what is going on, you know, in the healthcare system, especially in Atlanta and how that differs from a place like New York. Um, and I really like this idea of home care and all the other, um, you know, initiatives of Grady. It's been fascinating for me to listen to. Is there anything else you wanted to ask um, before we wrap up the call? Um, no, no, not, not too much. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty much thankful for this experience. Thankful for the, for Mr. Compton being able to, uh, dedicate some of his time. And, uh, I'm not going to hold anybody past, uh, past the time that they, uh, want to get out. So I'm okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And so if there are no questions on the line at this time, um, just for everyone left, I wanted to say, join us for our next Sustainable Business Fridays conversation on December 18th at noon. We'll be speaking with Susan Witt and Alice Maggio of the Schumacher Center for a New Economics. Thank you all for being a part of today's conversation and a big thank you to Bill and Martin. Have a great, great weekend, weekend, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Compton. All right. Thank you, Mr. Compton. I'll see you all on campus. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Talk yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Martin. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.